For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, this is Luke. I do want to say before we start the episode that when we recorded this, the Titans had not yet cut quarterback Cole McDonald or signed quarterback Trevor Simeon. Spoiler alert if you didn't already know that that happened. So while our analysis is slightly misinformed by virtue of the fact that we did not have that information, I think if you'll listen, you're going to find that we were still pretty spot on with what we said about the Titans' backup quarterback position. Hope you all enjoy the episode. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. If you like our show, why don't you go follow us on social media? You can do that at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. You can also subscribe to or follow our show for easier and faster access to all of our new episodes. We've got a fun show for you today because the Titans are about a week roughly uh, into 2020 training camp. They have practiced four times as of us recording this and putting it out on Wednesday. And uh, even those of you who you know haven't been to practices because there's been no fans and there's been very limited uh, press that have been allowed to be there uh, – you still know what's happening because you're seeing the videos. The Titans have done a great job. They they did like a uh, – for two days they streamed their practice during the open period. And then Amy Wells and Mike Keith did a good job with that, I thought. Uh, so everyone kind of knows what's going on. So we're looking forward to discussing some of the big storylines that, that Titans fans and reporters and everyone have been getting into as training camp has opened. Uh Guys, just generally speaking, from what you've seen on, on, on Twitter and all of that, what has stood out to you the most from the first four days? Well, uh, apparently Cam Batson is going to take the next step, so that's really, really good news. <laughs> the, I, the next step for him is the first step. I uh, I don't know. I mean, Jim Wyatt put out a, a tweet of him running a one-on-one against – I don't know what cornerback it was, but he won on like an in-breaking route. So that was cool. But I, I feel like there's propaganda about Cam Batson out there. I've noticed it for like a month. It's very weird. I don't know where this has come from, but clearly the coaching staff really likes him as much as we may not think he has much potential. Clearly the coaching staff likes him, and I, I don't know. He's just very prominent on social media from reporters of the Titans for whatever reason. I don't know. I, I, I don't know where that came from. But more notable, which I'm sure we're going to touch on, is uh, 
Logan Woodside's performance, which Luke uh, tweeted about. He wasn't very fond of it. And considering that the Titans looked at a couple of veteran, well, I don't know if Deshaun Kaiser is a veteran, but whatever, a couple of veteran backup quarterbacks, I think it, it's notable uh, that they did that, and then the quarterbacks really didn't uh, perform very well. Also, Cole McDonald apparently was running like um, like drills that weren't quarterback-centric, uh, so, so that was interesting. I, I, I feel like he's going to be more of a project and maybe like a gadget player from, from what I've gathered, which which I find intriguing because he's very athletic and he's got a cannon for arm, so you could definitely do some things with it. Yeah, um, Coleman Donald is one of mine just because I think there may be like a Taysom Hill, like, you know, you use him as a weird like sub-package kind of like two plays a game kind of guy maybe, like maybe not this year, but maybe next year. But also he can be somebody in on your practice squad who can give you like really good Lamar Jackson like type scout team reps so that's that's something to watch in the future it's it's cliche to say uh, to say Corey Davis and Jeffrey Simmons just because I think they've gotten the most publicity but it's hard to pick anybody else just because Simmons is so incredibly big and also somehow lean and also somehow like really nimble uh, and then Corey Davis, I thought would be on this pup list for like two more weeks. I, I, I thought they were going to be very cautious and very slow to bring him back. And on Sunday, you know, he practiced or he practiced on the side and did his weights and stuff with the weightlifting coach. And then as soon as pads came on, he was there for the first practice. So I'm much more encouraged with that situation than I thought I would be. So those, those are the two that maybe I'm paying attention to more than anything else but those are the guys that are standing out we're going to get into all of those storylines more in depth as we truck truck along in this episode but i want to start with the big news that came out tuesday morning from nashville uh, that doesn't have anything to do with the Titans on the field. It has more to do with uh, the Titans front office and their partnership with Metro Nashville government. And that is that Nashville Mayor John Cooper announced that for both Nashville SC and the Tennessee Titans, there will be no fans allowed at any home games through the end of the month of September. For the Titans, that's just one game, their home opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mike Vrabel was asked about that today, said that it's disappointing. They hope they can get the fans there as, as soon as it's as soon as possible, as soon as it's uh, allowed for that to be the case. He did credit the Titans social media team for being able to keep fans involved without you know being able to be there in person. But uh, Will, you're a season ticket holder. Uh, it's a tough situation. I don't know that anyone was surprised by this. I certainly was not when I heard the news. It was just kind of like, you know, yeah, I assumed that would be the case anyway. What about you, Will? So I wouldn't say I was surprised by all this just because, you know, there are teams that are closing, you know, the stadiums down completely or they're saying until further notice or they make it seem like it's going to be a longer time until fans get in the stands for them. Um I'm a little bit agitated uh, because I know that Broadway is not shut down. I know that there's people in the bars without masks with no social distancing. There's no sort of enforcement on that. Like it's, it's very hard for me to comprehend why you can't fit 20% of the Titans of, of Nissan stadium 
but you can't get 20% of those seats filled, but you can allow people to be over capacity at bars seemingly every day of the week without any precautions in place at all. That, that seems incredibly frustrating and also, you know, just disingenuous, bad politics, whatever you want to call it. So I'm not, I'm not upset at the plan because I think, I think it's smart to have people social distance. I think it's smart to have people, you know, as safe as you can have them, especially if you're planning on having more people after September. But I think if you're not doing that for the whole city and if you're not even doing it for a two mile radius of the stadium, I think you're just absolutely wasting your time and you're picking and choosing where you're going to enforce it. I didn't know that about the bars in Nashville. I didn't know there was like, you know, no like restrictions in place and stuff like that. That kind of makes this decision a little more not baffling, but weird, I guess. Uh, but I, I just I wasn't expecting fans to be at the at the stadiums all, all year, really. I, I'm expecting the season to go uh, like the European soccer leagues are going. Uh, like the NBA is going, like the MLB is going. That that's just what I what I was expecting. So this doesn't come as a shock to me. I'm a, um I'm sad for the fans and uh, the players also because I know they love playing in front of their home fans. But it it just seems like the logical decision. But when you consider that uh, Nashville doesn't have all those restrictions in place, it kind of makes it I don't know if it, like counterintuitive you know it just doesn't really make a ton of sense uh but i'm sure the nfl probably you know nudge them in in this direction uh, in some capacity well i think what's going to be interesting to watch really two things first of all college football mainly because their stadiums are a lot bigger from my understanding some schools will be going ahead with fans and and distanced and having protocols in place So I think the NFL, after the month of September, will have this sort of uh, uh, litmus test in place where they can look at what college football has done. And if it works out, they'll say, you know, obviously we have smaller stadiums, but we're going to do something kind of like that. So that's one thing I think that could work in their favor by taking a wait-and-see approach. Another thing that is interesting to me, and I have yet to – hear anybody talk about this outside of us we i think we've brought this up on the podcast before if not we've definitely talked about it you know just the three of us not you know off of the recorder but uh you know you only have let's say 12,000 people in the stadium how do you prevent what teams undoubtedly don't want to happen which is insane ticket scalping of I have this rare commodity of a ticket to a Titans game, may it go to the highest bidder, and you have you know tickets going for a thousand dollars on the street market. I mean that's terrible business for teams. You're saying that would happen if there was twenty percent. I feel like I feel like that could happen, and, and and it might there might be an easy solution. I mean I remember when Hamilton came to TPAC here in Nashville. They took a bunch of protocols with their ticketing to that to prevent that sort of thing from happening. And, you know, maybe that can happen with the Titans where, like, you don't get sent your ticket until the day of the game. But, you know, there would still be, I feel like, something where that could be a problem. Yeah, I mean, there would definitely have to be measures in place, and especially by, like, 
resale sites like StubHub and, and Ticketmaster and those kinds of places. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what would happen. Uh, but like I said, I just don't. I, I I don't see a scenario where there actually will be fans. Uh, and I think they also. I don't think the NFL and I don't think teams want fans because they probably don't want people tailgating right outside the stadium, which, you know, there's no social distancing going on in those situations. Granted, they would probably just go to the bars, uh, like Will said earlier, but yeah, so I don't know. All you're doing is putting putting 20,000 people inside of the bars and on Broadway. Like it doesn't help anybody. Like, Nobody. Sure. I mean, it, I, I don't. I don't want to get too far into that because that's just a whole different kind of psychology behind all this. But for like the, the safe way to do it, if you just want to make sure you don't do ticket scalping, is you have to contact the team directly. It's first come, first serve, unless you've already gotten season tickets or unless there's some other system in place to like like a lottery or something. And then you have to have your ID present when you go into the stadium. And since they're at 20% capacity in this scenario, they only have to, you know, they only have to check one fifth as many people. Like all you've got to do is scan your little QR code and then have the ID present that matches your name. And then you can go in like get your temperature. That's that's likely. Yeah. Which, which is all, all great. Like that's, that's all fine. So that, that's what I would imagine. But you know, I mean, some, somebody is going to have fans in the stands. I, at least this is my opinion. Like, I don't know if it's an NFL team. I feel comfortable saying that I think between the NFL and the SEC, somebody is going to have fans in the stands. Well, somebody but, has to be know, the first. The whether it's now or six months from now, some team somewhere in some sport is going to be the first to let fans back in. And right. I feel like it probably is, Will, as you're saying, going to be an NFL team. I don't think yeah, it's going to be college, especially after the like. I don't know if you guys saw what happened at UNC. Yeah, uh, like there well, were just clusters, outbreaks, just because of like an off-campus party, and they had to just send everyone home and like tell them. Yeah, no, kudos, doing online kudos to their student newspaper who ran the headline. Yeah, yeah. A, it was either a giant or just a cluster F. Was the headline (laughs) in the newspaper. Yeah, which is wild. But, like, you know, to me, I wish schools would just do what they wanted to do, which is tell the students, okay, we've got your money. Like, bye. Go go home and do your online classes because that was always the intention. Then just leave the student athletes on campus social distance them, whatever you got to do. Because that's what they want. And at the end of the day, that's what, that's most what they should the consumers, do. Yeah, that's what most of the consumers of their product want. Like, if you're an SEC school, your number one product is sports. It The sport may vary from place to place, but except for Vanderbilt, like, the, your number one export is sports. So, you know, and, and the sooner we all just admit that, let players have a union and all that, sooner that happens, the better. But, you know, if, if I think – and I think this is what ultimately happens, and I think it's why the dates are so late, is I think either campuses that have it under control will let students in and spread them out, or places that don't will kick everybody off campus, spread out their athletes, and then they'll let them play like that. Because now with the, you know, the NBA funded, the Saliva Direct, the new 
like the the thing we've talked about and I retweeted and you know I, I've spent a bunch of time looking at and stuff that it's a saliva test for COVID that essentially is ninety percent accurate. It's super cheap to take. Every team or every every um, hospital or doctor's office in the country can and should have the equipment to run the test. Basically, it's cheap mass producing or uh, mass testing that's accurate, which is kind of the first step in you know getting past all this to my knowledge. So, you know, do that, test people twice a day. You don't have to stick a swab up their nose. You just get to swab their mouth. It becomes much easier to test people. It's less stress on the infrastructure. And then at that point, I think if you can get that going with your student athletes, you can test college kids like the NFL is testing their people. And then all of a sudden it becomes a much more tenable situation, especially with 90% of the classes already being online in college anyway. My attitude toward testing totally changes if it's four inches up my nose versus just licking a cotton swab. Like, big difference. Same. Same, me too. I yeah, totally agree. Just put it on the end of a Dairy Queen spoon, and I'll have it like <laughs> yeah. twice a week anyway. Um, I want to move into some football stuff. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you brought up, Matias, which is the backup quarterback position. Uh, behind starter Ryan Tannehill, the Titans currently have uh, Logan Woodside and rookie Cole McDonald on the roster. There was a report on Monday that, as a part of their uh, weekly workouts, they brought in veterans Trevor Simeon and Deshaun Kaiser to work out. Um, guys, granted, I've only been at one day of practice uh, because of the rotation that exists due to one reporter for outlet rule. But Logan Woodside did not look good today. He missed a – there's a seam route that someone ran that he missed pretty badly. Uh, he did drop one in the Michael Pruitt that I thought looked pretty good. But when he's when when Logan Woods and I made this comment, I think I was talking to John Glennon. I said, you know, if it, all this underneath stuff, this five to ten yard stuff, he's fine. But if he has to throw it 15, 20 yards down the field, it's a problem. I mean, he threw a really bad interception to Ibrahim Campbell today, where Cameron Batson was running a post, and the, the defense was, I think, playing cover three, and Campbell was the single high. And Woodside just threw it, like, straight to Ibrahim Campbell, like, leading Batson into him, as opposed to driving it up the field and giving Batson what could have been a touchdown if he had done that. And, again, just seeing one day, it's scary to me seeing what I saw today. Yeah, and I don't think anyone is surprised that he performed this poorly. I don't – I've never seen – I mean, granted, I – don't go to the practices. I've never been to a Titans mini camp, training camp practice, but I've never seen him play well uh, in a game situation. Like in the preseason last year, he was pretty bad. He was pretty terrible. So I don't know where this like again. This is like the Cam Batson thing where there's like propaganda about Logan Woodside that I've seen this offseason that he has more arm strength. He's ready to take hold of the second, the backup job, which I know the team like has to put that out and uh, writer, writers about the team have to come up with these puff pieces just to, to fill time, but he's not good. He's never big guy. He had one good season in college. It was at Toledo, by the way. He not like he was went to a le- legitimate good football school. 
Uh, he didn't test well at the combine. He's never. He's not very athletic. He's there's nothing. There's nothing redeeming about him. I'm sure he's a great guy. Uh, I'm sure he, you know, will be a decent practice squad guy. But this guy's not a backup quarterback. And everyone who saw him today apparently said the same thing. So I don't know. Like, I'm not concerned because I feel like they're either going to go with Cole McDonald or they're just going to sign someone because if he keeps putting in practices like the one he did today, like they're not going to go forward with them. It'd be, it'd be suicide, especially with someone backing up Tannehill, who I know he stayed healthy last year and the year before that, but he's like genuinely, generally had injury concerns in the past. Yeah, there's there's kind of a weird overcorrection. Um, I'm not even sure if it's an overcorrection or if, a pre- or if it's a preference or whatever. But keeping guys who seem to be well liked in the locker room who who just aren't very good on the field, uh, like Jamil Douglas, Woodside, um, Cam Batson is somebody who I, I suspect is a similar guy. And you know maybe these guys will come in this year and for some reason they get to play and they are amazing. But everything we've ever seen from them says that that's probably not going to happen. So I, I do worry how much this coaching staff, which is primarily former players, how much they value locker room chemistry over actual talent and ability to go out and win you a game. So, And, and there's no way to quantify that. It's, it's just hearsay and kind of putting pieces together, but that's the only way I can see that this made any sense to keep Woodside and to praise him and to, you know, just fawn over him all the time when we all know what Woodside really probably is. Like there's very little upside to that. So that that's kind of where I am is he's too nice a guy for Vrabel to cut. And that that's just where we are. Do you think they're going to bring in with it, you know, whether it's Simeon or, or Kaiser or someone else, do you think they will bring someone in? I mean, I certainly think it's a possibility because, again, we, we talked about this before the show. Uh, the Titans like bringing in guys they know, and Vrabel likes that too. But like at the end of the day, John Robinson has the final say, and if he's watching his backup quarterback throw ducks in practice every day, he's going to do something about it, you would think. I mean, did, was there like a connection to Gabbert when we brought him in? I don't I don't think so, right? Um, I don't think he, he had no. No, uh, Gabbert was before uh, Vrabel, though. No, he wasn't. No? no oh, was he not? It was the first year, I think. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, right, I think yeah. they're going to bring in Simeon just because he's like, I don't know. Well, Kaiser's bad. Kaiser's like legitimately a bad quarterback. He didn't even play last year. He wasn't on a team. And before that, he was in Green Bay, and that was after one of the worst rookie seasons in football history. And Don't we all know. I, I've talked about him. We know. If not on here, on the old podcast before. <laughs> we all know how Luke feels about Kaiser as, as a prospect and a quarterback. So I don't, I don't think they're going to go that route because I don't even know if it's that much better than just going with Cole McDonald. But Simeon has like actually performed decently well. He does still turn the ball over a little bit too much, but he can move the ball. He can move the offense if it's needed. He did it at Denver when he was the starter. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go with him. I I just feel like it's the best option right now. I'm not sure what other quarterbacks are even out there, to be honest. Uh, But those are the two they've worked out. So obviously they have their eyes on those. 
I think we've talked about this before because I, I talked about it with the kickers, but I think right now is the least effective time to go out and get somebody in free agency, unless it's Clowney or somebody like that, just because so many teams are just holding 80 people and, you know, they're just the rosters, rosters are so saturated and people are going to get cut anyway. So if it's a position like quarterback or kicker, where you can only really have like two guys on the roster uh, uh, not a kicker, you don't have one, but like where you only keep limited amounts, then I think you're going to get a couple of names where every you get like Ian Rappaport tweeting and saying like, wow, I didn't, you know, this is unexpected. So-and-so is getting cut and it's somebody who's probably more talented. Um, but having said that, if you want somebody who'd be ready for week one to be the backup, Simeon feels like the guy. I mean, immediately over McDonald and over Woodside. And I think you, in that scenario, I think you cut both your quarterbacks now. You put McDonald on the roster. You you let Woodside go. Because if Woodside's not the guy to be the backup this year, you can't invest any more time in him. You've got to put all your efforts into developing McDonald and saying, like, we spent a draft pick on him. At the very least, he's athletic. So let's try to see what we can get out of him and use... Simeon is a bridge guy, and then you just protect McDonald on the roster. I would be surprised if they cut Cole McDonald because when you draft someone like a Cole McDonald who's kind of what I like to call a toolbox player where he's got the tools, it's just a matter of putting them to use, uh, you kind of know what you're getting into. And I I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to – like Vrabel called him, verbatim quote, a developmental player the other day. He said – we understand that Cole McDonald is a developmental player. You don't draft a developmental player to then cut them after what will end up being two weeks of two to three weeks of practice. Like, so I would be kind of shocked if Cole McDonald's not on the active roster because you don't want to risk losing him to another team that liked him in the draft. Um, but Woodside, I don't know, man. Like, Matias, you kind of said, you know, there's no redeeming qualities about him. I mean, I kind of felt – I remember feeling that way last year. I mean, obviously the Titans were fine at backup quarterback last year because if it wasn't going to be Tannehill, it was going to be Mariota, and you can obviously do a whole lot worse than that. But, like, I remember watching Woodside last year and being like, yeah, this guy's not any good. And, like, you know, maybe he did look a little better today in terms of the power he was able to put on his throws. But – I mean, if the Titans are in a situation where something, God forbid, happened to Ryan Tannehill and they had to count on that guy for more than, like, a game, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, sure, you could put me out there to hand it off to Derrick Henry, but you can only do that so many times. And if you don't have half the reason that Derrick Henry worked as well as he did last year is that you had the threat of Ryan Tannehill back there, too. And... You know, if Logan Woodside's your quarterback, put nine in the box and stop Derrick Henry and make him beat you downfield, and he's not going to be able to. It's a problem. Yeah, I mean, if he's actually the backup quarterback, I don't know how many teams have a worse backup quarterback situation if if the starter goes down. Like, I would take – like, the Lions have Stafford, they have Jeff Driscoll, and they have David Blau. I would take David Blau over Logan Woodside, and he's a number three. So, I don't know. I don't know. I I would truly be shocked if they go into this season with him as the backup, and I think it would be a stain on this coaching staff, honestly, because 
we've talked about in the past, they fall in love with these guys that just, they're not good. They're not yeah. good at football. But they fall in love with their character, their personality, I guess their locker room presence, I don't know, their work ethic. And yeah. I don't know. Like I understand those guys are needed for the culture and all that, but at some point you have to be actually good at football to, to stick on a team. This is the I last mean, thing I want to say on this, and then, Will, you can okay. close this topic out for us. Um, this reminds me of – you remember the year after they got rid of Rob Baronis – they brought in Mykon Benani and Travis Coons to compete for the starting kicking job. And you know who yes. won the starting kicking job? Ryan Suckup, who did not spend Ryan a Suckup. day in training camp. And that worked out pretty well for him. But both the guys they had in there competing, uh, both of them lost the competition. I feel like this could go very much like that. Yeah, I mean, that... That's exactly what it feels like. I was just looking up uh, the teams that had three-plus quarterbacks in the roster and what those guys looked like. But, I mean, the answer is staring us just right in the face. And that's obviously if neither one of these guys pulls away to just sign Blake Bortles and just let him sit on the bench and just let him go out and rip a few passes if if that has to happen. But, Bortles I, I is mean, better than there's nobody else. The two they tried out. Yeah, he is. I mean, Bortles is yeah, Bortles is probably the twenty second or twenty third best quarterback in the NFL. Like, uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I mean, just from a, like he's Jameis Winston, but he didn't have Mike Evans. Like they're the same guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had, had Allen Robinson, but regardless, I would take him over a lot of the backups in the league. I'm surprised he's still unsigned. It's actually a little surprising. I didn't know that. I figured he was still in Los Angeles. I mean, Blake Bortles isn't good, but he can at least like get you through a game. Yeah. Like Logan throw, Woodside, I feel like, would be one of those games where you get to the third quarter and you know the defense gets a three and out, and you're like, oh gosh, the offense has to come out again. You know? Whereas with Bortles, it'd be like, you know, well, maybe this is the time they can get something done. Whereas with, I feel like with Woodside, I don't want to disparage Woodside because, like you said, Matias, he is a nice guy. And he, all he's doing is just working hard and doing what he can to get a job. But, like, I, I would just feel like with him as, as the starter, if that had to happen, it would not be pretty. Apparently Case Keenum is still a free agent. I'd rather what? Him. That can't be. Bring him in here yesterday. That's what Spotrex says. Am I wrong? Oh, no, he's on the Browns. Sorry. Yeah, yeah he's on the Browns. Yeah. I was about <laughs> to say, frantically looking bring up that guy in here yesterday. Spotrex is not uh, not up to date. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> I mean, just, just go ahead and give uh, – th- this sounds like a joke, but I am being serious. Just give Josh Dobbs the job. Like, he's going to get cut from – the Jaguars, anyway, they have Bortles, or they have Bortles, they have uh, Minshew, and they've got uh, Glennon or whatever, who's been a backup for a hundred years. Um, like they're not going to spend the extra two million dollars or whatever to keep Dobbs. They don't have any long-term plans for him. They'll let him go, and you can just use like real wildcat stuff with Josh Dobbs and just let roll with that. That's what he did at Tennessee for his whole career. Not a bad idea. Plus. A little bit of a project also, because he's still young. All right, we are going to take a quick 30-second break before we transition into some more training camp topics. We're going to get into 
a couple of injuries that have uh, been not plaguing the Titans, but uh, you know that, that we have seen heading into training camp. And then we're also going to have our Stop the Nonsense segment. And for me, this was one of those weeks where it was hard to narrow it down. So you'll <laughs> want to stay tuned. All right, we are back, and we are going to start off talking about a couple of injuries that have started with the Titans into training camp. We don't really know anything about them other than that they just have not taken the field yet. Uh, you know, we knew about Vic Beasley failing his physical, but a couple of injuries, Kenny Vaccaro and Kamale Correa, neither was placed on the pup list, so you know, I doubt either one of them is any level of seriousness. Uh, but Vaccaro and, and Correa have yet to practice uh, at camp. I did see Vaccaro today. He was on the uh, exercise bike near the field at one point during practice today. Um, you know, I, I don't know that this is really anything to worry about. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, I don't know. I don't know how severe their injuries are. Um, but I'd be more concerned about a Correa injury just because of the depth at at edge pass rusher, which we've talked about, you know, at length over the course of the, the past couple of months. But especially with Vic Beasley, such like a question mark, I think Correa going down would, would really hurt the team just because he's he's very versatile. He's a good run defender, plus he can actually provide some pass rush when you need it. Uh, I know Vaccaro is probably one of our best defenders, and you would think I'd be more concerned about that one, but I just have a lot of faith in Amani Hooker. Uh, and a lot of the, the other defensive backs to, to cover uh, if, he, if he were to miss a little bit of time. I think I really like Amani Hooker. Like, whenever he played last year, he was always around the ball, always making plays. Uh, he hits hard. He showed a lot of really good coverage skills in at Iowa. So I, I would love to see him get an expanded role, actually, aside from maybe filling in for Vicar if that's needed. Yeah, I'm starting to get concerned about just the edge position in general. Like, I, Mike Keith, I, I love Mike Keith, but, you know, he, he's known to kind of overhype some Titans players. He talked, uh, I think it was Monday, that he talked about DeAndre Walker and how he's getting a lot of reps and opportunities just simply because the Titans don't have bodies to not give him chances. So, you know, right now it's Harold Landry and then... I don't Sucks. know who's the Roberson. I, I mean, it's got to be right. It's like Roberson and then DeAndre Walker, and then that's those that, that's guys it. That's yeah, it. like those are the only guys who I can imagine are taking real snaps. So don't forget, don't forget about Big Veasley. I mean, practicing yet? Though. Yeah. Oh no. We we talked about this last week on the show. Who are we going to see first, him or Jadavion Clowney? Yeah, is Jadavian like, Clowney going to play this year? Like, what in the world is going on with that? Dude? Uh, well, what in the world is going on just... with Logan Ryan? Like, bring him back here if he's not going to go anywhere else. Well, let's wait for my stop the nonsense for Jadavian Clowney. But uh, like I, Logan Ryan, I like I just think they're not going. I mean, I don't think they're ever going to get back together because I just think there's too much like hurt feelings there. Whatever. Wait, who? Clowney and who? No, Logan Ryan at the time. No, with Logan Ryan coming in. Like, I mean, I guess if they need a safety and they're like, Vaccaro is really injured, but other than that. No, why would he, why would he come back? No, I don't think so. 
Um, yeah, he might not play. I, I would not be surprised if he doesn't play the whole season. Let's talk about kickers. Uh, a topic that we've addressed a couple times over the last few weeks, but there was a lot of special teams work that went on today, and one of them was kickers. So I got to watch uh, uh, Greg Joseph and then that other guy. What's his name? McCann, Tucker McCann. Yeah, old Tuck. Yeah, and I will say this: they made all their kicks, but all of them looked like sliders. Like you know, and well, you you won't. But in baseball, you That's know, insane. nope. When there's a slider and it like breaks, hooks. it hooks. It like yeah, it hooks outside. All of their kicks looked like that. Like you know, when you watch like a really pretty like Adam Vinatieri or Matt Prater kick, and it just has that end over inch, you know, straight up, like perpendicular to the ground. Like I want to say it was Joseph kicked one where. He kicked it, like, to the right of the upright. And I'm like, oh, he shanked that one. And then it, like, drew back inside and he made it. And I'm like, what? I don't know. That just struck me as odd. And granted, they made all their kicks. But I just remember thinking, I was like, this doesn't look good. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a kicking expert. Maybe that's what it's supposed to look like. I just don't ever recall it looking. I just don't ever recall it looking quite like that. Yeah, I, I think the whole phrase like right down the middle is is pretty pretty much like indicative that like that Justin frigging Tucker, who is just a god when he kicks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he could kick it in backwards. Like he could just kick <laughs> it in with his heel, and it would spin exactly the right way. I mean, is anyone surprised though that they look terrible kicking? They're bad. They're bad kickers. I mean, again, they made the kicks, but they did not look pretty going in. We're getting the uh, Marcus Mariota like uh, quarterback stat line for the for the kickers every day, and Teron Davenport is the only person I've seen have different numbers than everybody else. Uh, <laughs> he's he's the only one that said that Joseph has missed a kick. Everybody else has said he's five for five for like the oh, last. Oh, here, here's why. So apparently, early on in practice, they had moved the uprights closer together. And he, huh. and he hit the upright. And so some of the reporters were like, well, if they were normal, that'd be a make. So I'm going to count that as a make. Whereas Teron said, no, it was a miss, even though the uprights were smaller. So technically, both of those are right. Hey, you know what's a really stupid thing to do? Is to affect your kicker's confidence by moving <laughs> the uprights tighter together. Well, like, like the only position in football that really <laughs> depends on like your own self confidence. It's, like, it's, like, like, it's like they walk what, up to Tannehill and they're like, "All right, Ryan, we're gonna do two minute drill today, but only between the hashes." Yeah, yeah. it's like, and now your ball is a tennis ball. It's like, yeah. well, hold on. It's like, like, what a weird, it's like, you've got to throw this beach ball. It's like, okay, like, that's just going to make my life harder for no reason. It's like, and go. It's like, okay, cool. Like, that's such a weird move. Like, I, it sounds exactly like something a former player would do. Like, so I it, get why I've already it. Is it is such a Mike Vrabel like, thing to do. Yeah. God, what, what a weird thing. This is This is one of the rare situations where I actually think they needed a preseason games. Like I think for kickers, it's actually kind of important uh, because kicking in practice is nowhere near, nowhere near what an actual game situation is like. So I think they're kind of going to miss the preseason here, but I just, I, I don't understand putting tempting fate with Greg Joseph. 
when you could just sign Goskowski, who's worse whose worst NFL season is better than Greg Joseph's any season ever from college, Wait, all, probably also, high school. they only made 40 – I've said this over and over again. When you only make 40% of your kicks and have the worst kicking season since the players' strike in the 1980s, and then you're like, we're going to roll with that guy we pulled off a practice squad toward the end of the season. It's, 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 it's baffling. Yeah. It's baffling. I mean, typically John Robinson is very good about, like, something bad happens. Let's overcorrect it. You know, the receivers were bad last year. Let's bring in two new ones. And, you know, that way if one of them is bad, we have a backup play. You know, the co- Mariota's wasn't very good this year. Let's bring in Ryan Tannehill and, and, you know, have that insurance plan. And so that's always kind of been Robinson's M.O. And so for nothing to happen to this point has been a little odd. Yeah, it, it it is weird. I feel like this offseason I have questioned the decision-making, personnel-wise, more so than previous seasons. I don't know if it's because I have higher standards now that we've made an AFC championship game. I, I don't know if it's that, but there are still positions on the roster where I just feel like should be upgraded, and, and it seems like the Titans front office just doesn't feel the same way, or the coaching staff also. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i just learned to trust John Robinson kind of in anything he does. Um, I, like I said, I've I've been pretty clear about me not liking Jeffrey Simmons when he got picked. He got picked. He's been great. Okay, cool. Like, I'm willing to give Isaiah Wilson a chance. We'll, like, let's roll the dice and see how he does. Like, But at the same time, this is one of those seasons where you really kind of need your depth pieces and your guys who've been – good to really take a next step and be like, okay, Adoree Jackson needs to be very good. Corey Davis needs to be very good. Uh, like Jeffrey Simmons, who we've seen, you know, already for, he has to be very good. Like Nate Davis has to be, like all these guys you basically trusted with the starting job and you've not added depth to those positions, you know, defensive tackle, offensive tackle, wide receiver, corner, like there other, well, I guess corner that Fulton, but generally, most of those positions did not receive any sort of like big infusion of talent this off season and they did lose somebody. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely kind of a like youth movement. Like we're going to let our young talented guys that I drafted take over kind of year. So it, it's definitely interesting. Uh, looking at some of the topics I have written down, that we can hit quickly before we get into stop the nonsense. One of them is uh, the punt returner situation. Like I said, they did a lot of special teams stuff today, and one of the things they did was uh, they worked with gunners on getting off the line of scrimmage, and that allowed us to see who they had back there returning the kicks. Um, so who, who caught kicks today were uh, Cameron Batson caught a couple, uh, Rashard Davis, Adam Humphreys, and uh, Mason Kinsey. I did not notice Darrington Evans back there. Uh, but those four. And so I'll say this about Rashard Davis. We've talked about him a little bit. It's clear the coaching staff likes him and he has a chance to make the team. I have a story coming out on him in a couple of days. Uh, he's an interesting guy, but I will say this about him. Uh, he had a, a really good uh, track record in college of returning punts. I think he like set whatever conference he was in's record for punt return touchdowns in a season. 
And so I will say this about Rashard Davis. Like, if he sticks, and, and someone asked me today, they're like, how has Rashard Davis looked in practice? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't noticed him at all in videos or you know being there today. But I think one thing working in his favor is they're really bad at punt returner, and he has a track record of reliability at that spot. And I would rather have him back there you know, than Humphreys because Humphreys was hurt last year that wasn't on a punt return, I don't think. Uh, but, I mean, Humphreys is too valuable to the offense and not valuable enough as a punt returner to be doing that. Khalif was not very good at that last year. Dory, don't even get me started on. Dory is a defender. He's He is a bad punt returner. So I think that might end up being their guy. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I, I was going to say it can't get worse. It, it can't get worse. Dory was just – just his confidence was shot whenever he even attempted a punt return. He was much better on kickoff returns, uh, but then it just wasn't worth actually risking him getting injured just because he became such a solid cornerback that, that we needed um, over the last couple of years. And then his punt return debacles were just too much. Uh, speaking of debacles, I don't know how Cam Betts is still getting a chance to return punts after what he did in the Jacksonville game. Yes. Possibly. Possibly the worst punt return in NFL history. I don't know. Travis Benjamin might and, have that title still. Yeah, it's close. It's it's close. But to giving that guy another chance is, again, I, it feels. I feel like um, I'm turning into Will as the number one Batson hater. But I just I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing the numbers. But regardless, you say you wouldn't want Humphreys out there. I would just because. I, I feel like he's reliable. He's going to get the job done. He's not going to do anything flashy, but he's shown the ability to actually get, you know, more than like 10 yards on a punt. And he never seems to, you know, make a mistake, which I think is the most important thing. I would love to have a punt returner who's explosive and, and can create big plays, but I don't, I would rather just have someone that catches the ball. Fair catches at the right time, or well, catches it, it gets a couple of yards. It's fine. You know, I remember when they brought Mark Mariani back after he had been with the Bears for several seasons. I don't remember who preceded him in that role. I just remember that when they brought him back, the big thing was, you know, he might not be as explosive as he once was, but we know he's going to catch it and then make a good decision with it. And I feel like they're back to that now because the, the reason that they tried the Adoree thing was it was like, well, you know, let's take the next step. They were thinking, you know, let's let's go from safe Mark Mariani to someone who every time they have it has a chance to break one. Well, then they backslid back to they can't even field it cleanly and it becomes a disaster sometimes. So now it's like get back to, you know, the Mark Mariani style of. Look, you know he's going to field it cleanly, and you know he's not going to do anything stupid with it. He's probably never going to break one, but he's also not going to ruin your team. And I remember last year talking to some guys about the punt return thing, and I remember Humphreys was the one that said this. He said in in their special teams meetings, they talked about a 10-yard rule, which is what they wanted was their only goal when they caught the punt, you know, catch the punt, field it cleanly, and then get a first down for the offense. Like, if you do that, you've done your job. I think they need to get back to that. Like, because that did not really happen very much last year. And it's not that hard of a goal to accomplish, I don't think. Also, I don't, real 
real quick before Will talks. I feel like there's some sort of like undrafted free agent complex where you're tr- you're pressing and trying to make like an explosive play, and it just it could backfire as we've seen in the past. And I think just having someone who's reliable knows he just needs to get the job done. I think I think that's more important. But that's that's a personal opinion after seeing just just horrendous horrendous returns for a long time for a really long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's just kind of a bunch of answers to what you are talking about. So I think it's cyclical of going and somebody who's steady, who can feel the kick, then maybe I want something more. Then that turns into, oh, no, that's a disaster, which turns into, I just wish I had somebody who could feel the punt. And you just circle back through that until you get somebody who's a Pro Bowl returner. And then, you know, you have them for a couple of years years and they either get hurt or they diminish or they leave in free agency and you do it all over again. So I think right now we're in the, let's just get somebody who can feel the punt and then we'll worry about somebody who can do more than that later. Like we'll get a Miko Hardman or a Tyree kill or something down the line. But right now you're right. We just need somebody who can catch the ball, go 10 yards, get their first down and then, you know, not, not get a concussion in front of everybody. So <laughs> that should be the goal at the same time, I think if I was designing a roster, I would try to have my fifth wide receiver be the guy who's returning punts because that gives you depth at wide receiver in case you need somebody to play because some, you know, somebody else gets hurt, two people get hurt, or whatever. And there's also guys like Humphreys who can you know come in in case of emergency if that returner gets hurt, but you know. It's not like you're losing Darrington Evans. Like, I think it's not the worst thing because I do like it a lot just on paper. But I'm so nervous that Evans is going to go out there, return two kicks, get blown up because he's like five foot eight, and then he's going to be injured. And that's going to mess up, you know, half of the offensive game because you need somebody in there on third downs. You need a running back who can catch. You know, you need Evans. And so. I think if you put him out there to return punts and kicks, he's just going to get obliterated. So I think whoever wins that fifth job, whether it's Davis or Kinsey or whoever it is, Kinsley, whatever his name is. Yeah, Kinsey. I don't know why I thought Kinsley. Either way, uh, that guy, whoever the fifth guy is, needs to be able to do that because historically it's a bad idea to put defensive guys back there, even though it seems to happen one out of every three or four times. And it's also shouldn't be somebody that you need to immediately step on the field and do something in case they get nicked up. So as long as they don't put a Dory, Darrington Evans, AJ Brown, which they always talk about for some stupid reason, you know, it's never happened. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But like, as long as they don't put anybody who is probably going to play on the next series on offense, as long as they don't put that guy out there and they have somebody who can say, okay, put your heels on the 10 yard line. Fair catch it if it go, you know they they know the rules of how to return punts, but like as long as they can get that guy, that's really all they need with how explosive the offense is. Having said that, it is so exciting to go back and watch Darrington Evans return punts that I go back and forth, and I really do want to see him catch some, but I'm just gonna kind of let that go for the greater well, good. You know, it may be a situation where like. You know, like I like I've always appreciated the teams that do situational punt returning, like what the Redskins would do, where it's like you know, 
two and a half minutes left in the game. We're tied up, and then the Redskins are like, now we're going to put Deshaun Jackson back there. We're in like high leverage situations. Or like I or like the opposite where I remember the Broncos. I don't remember who they had as their returner when this happened, but it was a clear fair catch situation. It was like the other team was punting from like the forty five, and so they just put Wes Welker back there, knowing that all he was going to do was fair catch the ball. Like I think that punt return by committee is not a bad idea. No, I I, I like that idea. I, I I like the thought of only putting in your most dangerous returner when when it's needed um or like when you need a spark you're you're down two scores or something like that i don't think you need to run the risk every every single time you you know the other team punts well i think the, the best example is that the chiefs don't use tyreek hills a punt returner during the regular season unless it's a high leverage situation right and he is the best so they that do tells have, you something they do have hard yeah. No, correct. It turns out they just continue to draft freaks. Yeah, (laughs) they'll use Clyde Edwards Edwards Alaire back there this time. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how that would go. Um, All right, let's let's do stop the nonsense. I I think this is going to be a good week because I know what Matthias yours is. Uh, Will I? You teased yours earlier, so I'm I'm interested to hear that. I had a moment today where I'm like, oh, I have two things I'm going to pick. I could pick from. I, I, but I, I stuck with what earlier in the week I, I knew would be mine. So who, who would like to start us off? I feel like I always start, so I'm going to let Will go first. Yeah, but good. Okay. So um, <laughs> it, it, earlier you heard me talk about how Jadavian Clowney was going to be on my Stop the Nonsense. And it's the point where I'm almost – been pushed to i'm not sure that anything he has done up until this point was strategy it feels like his constant contract negotiations declining offers all that stuff for a long time was played up by the media as he's waiting until training camp because he wants to pick a spot and he's waiting for the best offers but that's routinely not been the case so if you look at veterans, a uh, veteran pass rushers in free agency this past season, I think Mario Addison got the highest free agency money of somebody in their third contract. It's the I think it may be twenty eight or older. I'm not one hundred percent sure, but it was only ten million dollars. And then you've got guys like Everson Griffin who just signed for a cheap deal this past week. So you've got teams that are filling all their needs already and. With $175 million in cap space next year, teams aren't going to come out of the woodworks and have $20 million in their back pocket to sign Clowney. And yet, the reports we got this week are that he wants something close to $18 million. He's looking for that big deal now in like mostly guaranteed money, and that he's turned down several offers, including the Titans, which were below that. And then there's no explanation given on why he did that. It's not because he was waiting on a better situation or he wanted more money or whatever. It's just he turned him down. And I'm getting to the point where we tried to make a narrative based on the idea that Clowney knew what he was doing. And now it seems like Clowney was just lazy and didn't want to go through training camp because he hadn't had to do it for years. He probably isn't in the best shape. And – it's to the point now where I'm almost nervous 
for the team that signs him because I think you're going to get a guy who's not committed, who wants a bigger deal this offseason and is using you as a stepping stone, but also did that last year and wasn't outstanding for Seattle. So I don't think you're getting somebody who's motivated. And after we just got bit by Vic Beasley but for basically the same thing, invest in what could be close to $30 million for one year of Vic Beasley and Jadavian Clowney when neither one of them seemed to want to be there feels just like an absolute waste of resources. And I, I almost want no part of it at this point. I'm with you, man. I like, like, like I said before, I wouldn't be surprised if Clowney legitimately doesn't play the season. So if he hasn't signed by now, I don't think he cares, man, honestly. And they've continued to push back the, uh, you know, the line where, okay, I've heard that he's not going to sign until after the draft. Okay, teams are waiting to sign him until after the uh, compensatory pick selection. Never ends. Passes. Yeah, and then it was like bef- right before free eight, or right before training camp. Then it was first week of training camp. Now there's reports that say he's not going to sign until week one. And you know, like I said, I'm the the nonsense here is just Clowney's attitude and a lack of clarity in what he seems to want or what he's asking for in terms of you know contract or. It, any anything that gives us clarity on why he's done this, so I, I'm just out. I will take over next, and Will, you're 100% right with all of that. And I'm glad that training camp has started because since there's been you know practice videos and some comments on all of that, I have not seen very much clowny stuff, and thank goodness because it was wearing on me. Um, here's my stop the nonsense. What happened to Fernando Tatis on? Monday night is absolutely asinine and ridiculous. So if if you li- you're living under a rock or maybe you don't follow any baseball people, Will, you might – surely you've heard about this at least, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Let me explain the situation. So last night, Fernando Tatis, who is a shortstop for the San Diego Padres, he's in his second year, really talented player – uh, was at the plate. Team had a big lead, I believe, of seven runs. Am I wrong? Was it? A, it was a seven-run lead, I think. Seven-run lead, yeah. Yeah, and, and I with, know trouble now. With the bases loaded, facing a three-zero count, he swung on, if I recall correctly, what was a fastball in the zone, and uh, it was either opposite field or to center field. Opposite he hit, field. Hit, yeah, it was opposite field. field. Hit a grand slam. Uh, so seven run lead becomes an eleven homer, eleven run lead. Great play, essentially puts the game on ice. It's over. Well, goodness gracious, whiny! Oh, who are they even playing? I don't remember. The Rangers. The Rangers. Chris, Why, what's his name? Chris Woodward was the manager. Chris Woodward, whiny Rangers manager, talks to the press over Zoom about how he did not appreciate that and. When you when you have a seven run lead, it is an unwritten rule to in a three zero count take to try to get a walk. And like I know baseball has been having this battle for a while of like the dumb unwritten rules, and like the Bryce Harpers and Trevor Bowers of the world have been trying to combat that. This is 
undoubtedly the dumbest thing I've seen as a part of all of that. Like, some of the unwritten rule stuff, like, you know, you're not supposed to showboat after home run. Like, yeah, I get that. It's about class. You know, the whole Barry Sanders give the ball to the ref, act like you've been there before. I sort of understand that and the tradition of it all. But this is, we're talking about actually trying to score runs is not allowed. Score runs fairly. We're not talking about cheating. We're not talking about sign stealing. We're talking about swinging on a bad pitch and homering to opposite field, and that is not allowed because you already had too big of a lead. I cannot imagine how I would react if the Titans got blown out and Mike Vrabel said in his press conference afterward, you know, we didn't play very well today. But I just cannot believe that they kept on scoring. Like, <laughs> how inconsiderate of them. I feel like I would stand up and be like, are you kidding me? Did you actually just say that? What are we doing? Like, this goes beyond unwritten rules. Jeff Passan had several great tweets about all this today. Uh, he tweeted one thing. He was like, if a rule is unwritten, it's probably because writing it out points out how ridiculous it is. Um... He also said, "This is I like this one better. He said, if you don't want someone to swing on a 3-0 pitch, throw a good 3-0 pitch. Like, God, this is just absurd and stupid. Oh, it, oh my gosh. But, it was, but where, where it, my mind immediately went was, I can't imagine Mike Vrabel saying anything like that. I mean, his own team would laugh him out of his job if he said that. Yeah, I think I also think it was made more ridiculous because this happened in baseball, and in baseball there's literally no clock. The clock does not run, so the game is literally never over. You can have two strikes on you, ninth inning, two outs. You can still win the game. Look at what happened to the Rangers themselves uh, against the Cardinals in the World Series. Like I don't know, it must have been a decade ago by now that they ended up losing it when they were literally one strike away from winning it. Anything can happen, and seven runs isn't even that much. The Braves the other day scored seven runs. I think it was in the eighth or ninth inning of a game. Uh, they were losing by so much it didn't matter, but they almost came back. So that is just—it's so dumb to me, man. And you, you don't see—you really don't see other sports having this issue of running up the score. Like in soccer, at least, for like I speak from personal experience, like teams will score five, six. Look at Bayern Munich the other day scored. Eight goals on Barcelona in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which is the most prestigious club tournament in the world. No one complained. No one complained. And they were scoring goals in the 85th minute, 90th minute. No one complained. Because if you're bad, that's it. They're going to score on you. I just don't think running up the score, like when I think of that phrase, like running up the score as being bad sportsmanship, I think of like, you know, you're up 35 points in an NFL game with two minutes left, and you're still, like, throwing it around the yard. Like, yeah, that's bad sportsmanship. Take your knees and go home with your win. But I don't know that it's possible to run up the score in baseball unless you're doing wacky things like, you know, yeah. double stealing switches bases. and pinch. Yeah, stealing bases, pinch hitting, which Tatis stole third today when they had a really big lead, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know that it's possible to run up the score in baseball because it's all about the pitches that are thrown to you. You can only, I mean, you can only do, 
you can only you can only do what you're given with the pitches. I mean, you know, if you're facing Jacob Degrom and he only gives you your one or two hittable pitches a game, you gotta you gotta make those money pitches for you. But like, I I, I don't think of this as bad sportsmanship at all. I think of it as taking what you're given. Uh, just to kind of relate this to something I understand instead of round ball or whatever y'all are talking about. Um, it, did you know that in the NFL, it's actually incentivized to run up the score on other teams? Uh, if if you look at the tiebreakers for playoffs, uh, the Point seventh, yeah, the seventh tie or the eight, yeah, sorry, the seventh tiebreaker is uh, uh, best combined ranking among conference teams in points scored and points allowed. So your point differential is right after strength of victory and strength of schedule. So it's, it's ve- I mean, it, I'm not sure if it's happened recently, but I know that there's been situations in the past where it has mattered, and it is technically incentivized by the league to score as many points as you can on your opponent. You know, if you're 16-0, you know, maybe that isn't true, but you know, as far as unwritten rules go, it's pretty much written that you should try to score as many times as you can on your opponent, and that's how it should be in every league. Every every team should be trying to show how much better they are than the team across from them. You know, it, it's not a game of mediocrity. It's not a game of let's see how close we can get to each other and still win. Win your game. Do what you want to do and make the other team stop you. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. Uh, oh, man, I just got a video pop-up while I was uh, on this article that I'm about to talk about for my stuff and nonsense. So our good friend Patrick Darty, who writes for Roto World, mostly about fantasy football, I like him. I've always liked him. I think he's kept it pretty real uh, uh, over the last decade that, that I've read his work. Uh, he's usually pretty in tune with the times, I feel. Uh, he did GM rankings. He did head coach rankings. Uh, and Brabel and Robinson got, you know, they got pretty high rankings, and, and what he said about them definitely made sense. Uh, but he recently came out with his best quarterback situations. So it's not just quarterback rankings. It's the ranking of the situations uh, going into 2020. And the Titans with Ryan Tannehill are 23rd, 23rd in the NFL. And I just find that baffling. Uh, I will read you some of the situations that he thinks are better than the time situation. He has the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo at 15. You all know how I feel about Jimmy Garoppolo. He has the Rams with Jared Goff, who's making a ton of money and sucks at 17. He has the Browns with Baker Mayfield at 18. Baker Mayfield sucks. He sucks. Uh, Josh Allen at 20 with the Bills. Oh, sorry. Uh, Sam Darnold with the Jets at 19. And the Titans are 23rd with Ryan Tannehill, while Daniel Jones is is 21st. So, I don't know. I don't know. There's this stigma against Tannehill that he's still the same plain, mediocre quarterback he was in Miami. I don't know why that's still there. I don't know. Uh, things change. The evidence has changed. He's on a completely new team. He looks like a completely new quarterback. And people just can't get their heads around it. That's what it seems like. And it's just baffling. But I don't care because we know what we have in him. And even though he might not play as amazing as he did last year, 
he is not the Titans are not in the 23rd best quarterback situation in the league. It's just crazy. Them putting Darnold ahead of Tannehill was the one that baffled me the most. It's Mayfield. Josh Allen. Mayfield. Yeah, also. Josh. Like they're all bad. Like, so but Josh like, Allen was in the play. At least in the playoffs last year. Like obviously, yeah, but, uh, obviously, yeah. I'm saying the one that grinds yeah. my gears the most of all of them is Darnold. Yeah, Darnold is. That's fair. The most frustrating quarterback to me in the NFL because he's bad, but every, everybody tries to tell me he's good and. He is bad all the time, and I don't understand why people are so ready to die on that hill. But, yeah, that's insane, Matias. Like, there's no reason. It's got to be one of those things, and you see it sometimes, and sometimes it's just what you have to chalk it up to, is they forgot that they didn't put one of the team teams in the rankings, and they don't yeah. so many different rankings <laughs> of, oh, well, I've got this guy at number 22, and they're like, well, I've already gotten these down. What can, is there any way I can, like, put this down as a hot take and it's like okay yeah i can and then you throw it down there and then you just hope nobody pays attention except for the fans and then they just retweet your article a bunch you click on it because nobody in their right mind can think all those teams even if you're like okay the backups on tennessee's roster are bad the backups are bad everywhere in the league there's like five good backup quarterbacks so at a certain point you just have to stop taking that in consideration so i'm absolutely on board with that But the other one I was considering doing was AT&T U-verse, which I remember one one time I tweeted that they're the Blake Bortles of internet providers. Then the next year I said, no, nah, they're the Nathan Peterman of internet providers. Now I'm trying to think, like, who is an NFL player that, like, definitely, like, killed someone while they were playing? Not like Ray Lewis where he was acquitted oh, or, or Simpson where it happened afterward. Like, an NFL player who during their career, no doubt, were convicted, killed someone. Because whoever that is, that's ATTU-verse. I mean, Hernandez, right? Right. I was going to say. Who? <laughs> Literally Aaron killed Hernandez. someone. Yes. Yeah. They're the Aaron Hernandez of, of internet providers. And we probably won't tweet that out. But... Shout out Shout out to uh, to Barry McCockner. That's something he yeah. would say. There you go. Go <laughs> Oh, all right, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, glad that the Titans are practicing again and we have some actual football to, to talk about. We're only four weeks away, guys, from the season opener at Denver. That's uh, going to be crazy. Uh, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Until then, for Matias and Will, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.